Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth here with John Vecchioni. And Vec, there is, there is yet another effort by the federal government to try to stifle uh, conservative views in violation of the First Amendment. It's just amazing. Every time you turn around, this administration is bound and determined to bind and gag people who have a view different from what this administration's view is. And it's utterly maddening uh, to see this. Credit here goes to Gabe Kaminsky and the Washington Examiner, who has been leading this effort to expose what they're calling Disinformation Inc., uh, the groups hauling in cash to secretly blacklist conservative news. Uh, this uh, article ran back on February 9th in the Washington Examiner, and there have been a series of articles written by other folks, including Robbie Suave at uh, Reason Magazine and Margot Cleveland uh, at The Federalist. And what these folks are exposing and reporting is that the U.S. government, apparently through the State Department and, uh, and, and particular offices within the State Department, has been funding a company in Great Britain. That company in Great Britain, in turn, comes up with a list of media sites that are- A blacklist. A blacklist of media sites that are allegedly- untrustworthy or have some uh, indicia of, uh, of untrustworthiness. And because of this, uh, it wards away advertisers from supporting those websites. This is a very deliberate effort. And if you look at the list of websites that, you know, that, um, that this, uh, uh, that this uh, company has decided to uh, to, to say are untrustworthy, it's a, it's a very one-sided list. So the, the 10 so-called riskiest or worst offenders for peddling misinformation uh, include, uh, as I mentioned, Reason Magazine, the, Fe- the Federalist, the New York Post, Real Clear Politics, which I find to be particularly odd sides. because they, they're just an aggregator of links <laughs> from both sides. Very weird. Uh, the Daily Wire... The Blaze, One America News, and the American Conservative, the American Spectator, and Newsmax. So those those are, if you were to take a list, John, of the top ten conservative websites that people go to, and you were set it against that list, there'd be a lot of overlap. How the Wall Street Journal keep off of it? Uh, <laughs> the, the, well, have you read the news section of the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, John? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that, look, this is. Uh, this exclusion list appears to be uh, something that uh, has been put together with a biased eye. And whether this is being done, oh, and, and by the way, if you look at the uh, at the, the the websites that it says are fine, you get things like NPR and uh, and Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and so forth, which are happen to be sites, John, that were peddling. 
the Russian hoax uh, conspiracy that were saying that the Hunter Biden laptop wasn't legit when it was. And yet these ones that are supposedly unreliable were the ones that were exposing well, the truth behind part, part, th those topics. Particularly both Reason and the New York Post. I mean, Reason, there's nothing that's not factual on that website. I mean, it, it's even a little dry because of it sometimes, you know, and, and they, they make they make a huge effort to be accurate um, at, of the ones I know. Right. Sure. And so what the heck could reason be put? It doesn't do election denier stuff. It doesn't. It does do. You know what it does? I bet you that got it on there. It says that the health measures can't be dictatorial. Yeah, that's right? probably it. That's probably it. But uh, but the National Endowment for Democracy is a nonprofit that has received 330 million taxpayer dollars from the State Department. Uh, they contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to GDI's budget, this this British entity, according to uh, the Washington Examiner's uh, investigation. And the Washington Examiner wasn't on that top 10 list, uh, but it will be soon, John. <laughs> well, I, and, and actually, they were singled out as uh, as untrustworthy. They just didn't make the top 10 uh, of, you know, of the sort of- We've got to try harder, like, worst, like, uh, like Davis. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> try harder, Washington Examiner. You're- uh, and, you know, I think the, the question that, that you know, we have gotten and you, you and Janine have gotten, John, in the in the case that you've been bringing uh, involving Twitter and Facebook and some of the social media uh, entities is, well, isn't this just private conduct? I mean, this is this this British company that's doing this. It's not even an American company. They can't be bound by the by the First Amendment. And and they're a private organization, John. They they certainly uh, they certainly can do whatever they want to do. Uh, but I, I think where that theory stumbles is that if the State Department is giving money to this entity because it knows that this entity is using it to punish U.S. media companies, cut off funds from people who are criticizing them, it is using the funds specifically for an anti-First Amendment uh, purpose. Right. It's just using a private. It's like a contractor. They're, they're, it's they're, a conduit. It's, yeah, they're, they're using. It's just like uh, you know the the. The, the private uh, enforcement of uh, BlackRock and people like that. So um, I think I think that is true. And the thing of it is, the National Endowment for Democracy, if I'm not mistaken, uh, originally had done a number of things to open up Eastern Europe when uh, at, when the Soviet Union fell. I think what it was was like, here's how we have civil society, right? And um, there were a lot of efforts about setting up magazines, setting up. Here's how you have run a newspaper. But now it's been completely warped, it looks like to me, to here's how we shut stuff down. Really incredible. And, and you know what I don't know yet, and maybe this is in part two or three of the Washington Examiner's report, because they say in their article that this is just part one of a multi-part uh, investigation, uh, is when did this start at the State Department or at the National Endowment uh, for Democracy? Is this something that came, uh, came around uh, with this administration? Is this something that was happening uh, under the previous administration, which would be surprising. Um, but you know what? Someone has to write a grant. So to get money from the government, you normally have to write a grant proposal or there has to be a contract, right? But it strikes me that these are grants. And so the National Endowment of Democracy has to have a sheet where they submit it to the State Department. Here's what we're going to do. And then someone at the State Department had to say, hey, that sounds great. Who are, you, who, do you, who are you after? And then they have to get a list of who, you know, of what type of sites they're, they're getting uh, advertisement pushed away from. And the State Department says, yes, this is what we want. I mean, there's an awful lot of government action there. 
there is, and, and you were asking about, you know, why Reason was on, on the list. And uh, what it said is uh, Reason Magazine's high-risk rating can be attributed to scores of zero on three operations pillar indicators. This thing is written, John, <laughs> in such sort of dry, like, yeah, you know, exactly. uh, like this is really official uh, review. The site publishes no information regarding authorship attribution. That is not true. I've read Reason. They give author attribution information Robbie all the time. Yeah. Uh, pre-publication fact-checking or post-publication corrections processes or policies to prevent disinformation in its comments section. Well, uh, in terms of its content, Reason Magazine did largely refrain from perpetuating in-group, out-group narratives or unfairly targeting certain actors via its reporting, but its articles were often biased in their construction and relied on sensationalized emotional language. You know, unlike HuffPost or or, uh, or BuzzFeed, you know, John, uh, exactly. they, they never have uh, no sensationalized emotional language on those sites. Uh, uh, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, we, we make light of it because it's so outrageous. Uh, but the idea that you would that you would tell an advertiser that they uh, should disfavor a site that doesn't moderate its comments section, for example, you know, reason is free minds and free markets. I, I think it would be a little odd if they uh, didn't apply the free minds uh, uh, sort of motto to their comments section. <laughs> yeah, I I do I do think that 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 is kind of odd and you know as they always say don't read the comment section but there's no, there's never anything good there well, and, and don't, uh, <laughs> don't read it if you don't want to read it exactly. right it's I, I and for that matter i would be surprised if the advertisers are advertising on the comment section i True. doubt that that i mean i don't find me the advertiser says put my stuff in the comment section <laughs> that's where i really that's where my that's where my buyers are <laughs> So, but exactly, and then also the other thing is the New York Post is the oldest newspaper in this country. You might it is a tabloid, sure, but it it, it has a lot of big stories that it, it's broken a lot of big stories over the years. And Founded around, by Alexander Hamilton, right? So yeah, it's over 200, 200 some odd years old, and uh, it, it would whatever two hundred twenty because Hamilton died in yeah, what, exactly. 18 something. Yes, right? exactly. So the fact is, it's a very old newspaper. It's read by everybody in New York. Uh, at some point, so to put to put to put it on a band list is absolutely insane. It's crazy, and and the the article uh, Robbie Swove's uh, article in, in Reason, uh, and sorry if I'm butchering your name, Robbie, uh, cites another evaluator called NewsGuard that was co-founded by Gordon Krovitz, former publisher of the Wall Street Journal, and, and it gives Reason a perfect score of 100 out of 100 in terms of misinformation. Do they get tracking. State Department funds? I don't think they get State Department funds. Uh. I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but uh, Krovitz uh, had a had an op-ed explaining how NewsGuard's process differs from differs from GDI's opaque blacklisting system. And uh, he says, unlike the ratings of news sites done by the entities cited in the Washington Examiner series, NewsGuard ratings are done with full transparency and disclosure using only apolitical criteria, and everything is done by humans, including the ratings by our analysts of all the news and information sites that account for 95% of engagement in the United States and the other countries where we operate. So in other words, they're not just using some sort of algorithm to identify uh, alleged misinformation. They're actually looking at stories, making judgments, and, and giving evaluations. Um, you know, so they don't think Reason is an unsafe website. Uh, John and I have read Reason. We don't think it's an unsafe website. I'd say that about uh, all or almost all of the of the sites on that uh, on that on that list. Uh, uh, certainly, the ones that we've 
uh, that we've been talking about specifically. And the fact that uh, uh, the fact that the State Department is funding this sort of uh, is, uh, is very interesting and something that I have to take a closer look at. Welcome back. And um, Mark, I was uh, looking at my trusted website, Wall Street Journal on Dead Tree, and uh, and I saw an article by Donald Cochin about the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, trying to regulate climate. And um, Professor Cochin, he's a professor over at uh, George Mason. Um, I think it's I think it's Cochin. Okay, Cochin. Okay, yeah. but in any event, he is talking about how. And this is this is something that I think the administration is trying to do, as they say, government wide, and it is to affect climate change by having all the agencies sort of put the hammer down on oil and gas, um, and and coal, all the, all the fossil fuels in whatever way they can. And in, and so what the SEC's contribution to this is that um, it has. Uh, it, it, it puts out regulations that says that all the companies have to state what their climate risk is. Now, how you do that over 10 or 20 years, I don't know, because so far as I've seen, the, the climate models are not that predictive that I would want to be the CEO of a company saying, oh, yes, yeah, so my climate risk is X in 20 years. Very hard to do. I'm sure that some some clever plaintiff lawyers out there are going to say, ha, ah, you said it was this. And look, there was either less or more. So I bought more of the stock or less of the stock because you were wrong about your climate risk, right? And then, then you have a shareholder case, uh, class action. Um, so what they're doing here is they're, they're saying that they have comp competence to judge what these, um, what these statements, whether they're accurate or not. And, and they also have competence to... Um, to actually promulgate them, but the real the climate-related risks are not the sort of risk we normally associate with securities. Um, because what if you could you say that well if there's lots of if there's lots of, of climate change our company's going to do great. We we do nothing but um, make uh, air conditioners. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is. Oh, we we our company's well placed. If the climate goes off the off the cliff, they're not going to like that either. You know, that's going to cause you problems as well. And because that's not the type of risk or judgment that the SEC is normally looking at, it's normally looking at things like. Do you have access? Uh, you know, who 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 runs your company? Are they competent people? Do you have within your company the type of controls of of spending and and uh, all the rest of it that make a competent company? Um, and then, do you have any risks because you make one one thing they could say is you know if if you make explosives or you make something that is dangerous, what are the risks that that's gonna uh, something's going to happen to your to your uh, plant or something like that. 
So th there are certain risks that they want in all the prospectuses and other things like that, but they're quantifiable and they're well understood. And what they're really trying to get at there is the risk of investing in the company. So if you buy a stock, um, have, have you bought it with the knowledge that the company has, right? Because they don't want in insider trading. So right. it's really- and, and are you honestly reporting your earnings? Right, and right. What it's a trading risk. It's a risk of, of what, what normally the Securities and Exchange Commission is supposed to do is make sure that the market is not um, being fooled with, basically. But here it strikes me, um, Professor Koshin, his um, take on it is one I agree with. And he says that the, um, the, uh, the, the uh, West Virginia versus EPA case, that uh, Congress doesn't just hand out powers willy-nilly in vague language, um, that the SEC is basically traducing that West Virginia versus EPA case. And we've talked about that before. That uh, and and we, we even we um, spoke about it with the education department just a moment ago. All these agencies are trying to really um, overstep the statutory power they've been given because they want to do something else. The administration wants to do something that it's not willing or able to get through Congress. So it says, "Oh, I already have that power," and all these agencies always go, "Oh yeah, we we do that." Oh yeah, we do that all the time. Yeah, that was totally that was totally in our bailiwick uh, when they made the statute. Look, it says right here, and look, the <laughs> and so and so the SEC is doing this now, and it has enormous consequences because there is nobody advising uh, a Fortune 500 or any company um, who's going to tell them, "Oh, you don't have to do that," or "This isn't a concern." They're going to do what the SEC tells them to do, um, and. There'll probably be a case based on West Virginia or EPA and a number of other things that this is no good. But think of all the capital um, maldistribution that's going to happen because of this. It's going to happen for a number of reasons. First, the SEC isn't good at judging this stuff. The companies aren't good at judging this stuff. Um, and then now we start seeing the SEC is very worried about what's called greenwashing. And that is when you say that oh, all of our process, we're, we're carbon neutral and our whole process is carbon neutral and we're good for the environment. And then you look behind it and, you know, they're, they're making as much terrible stuff for the environment as anyone else, but they're buying trees in Brazil or something like this. That's their offset. So, um, and, and whether or not it's really carbon zero type thing is sometimes dis difficult to discern. But all that, all of those statements about carbon neutrality and stuff was things that companies did because there was this huge interest in ESG. And now some are going to get bitten by it. But as far as the SEC is concerned, why this is an abuse of administrative power is that the SEC was not set up for this, right? The SEC was set up stop market panics and climate change has nothing to do with market panics it it's a long-term um uh, process that's not going to cause a, a rush uh and and they don't even say that it will it's not like the sort of thing where your bank has no reserves or or uh, i'm trying to think of other things that the sec says are dangerous um you're 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 um they they have they have a lot of um, their their main concern usually is transparency. Yeah, you could think of like risky financial practices, like yeah. uh, like think of Enron. You'd think of something like uh, you know certain sort of 
doing deals with insiders or right. you know having having some kinds of uh, special purpose entities that uh, are not well described or you know, those or sorts of things. or a big lawsuit, right? A bet the company lawsuit. They always want that disclosed immediately sure. if, if you've been sued uh, and it's class action that could wipe out your balance books. That's the sort of thing. And this is not that because the the uh, ability and, and they also there's a lot of thing. There's a lot of unknowns. I mean, if you make toothpicks, it's pretty hard to tell where the climate change. Well, the trees we make the toothpicks out, they could not grow or maybe they'll grow more. Who knows? So there's a there's a tremendous amount of the economy that it would be impossible to really do this in a fair manner. Um, and as I said, they're not really designed for it. Um, and, but uh, Professor Koshin does say that the SEC knows about all this. Chairman Gary Gensler acknowledged that the case, meaning West Virginia v. EPA, is significant and meaningful. <laughs> so he's going ahead anyway, but, you know. Um, and then, uh, so the climate disclosure requirements um, are going to come out as a final rule April of 2023. And I think it, you'll see a bunch of suits in April 2023. <laughs> So, well, it reminds me, John, of, of the case that went in front of the D.C. Circuit on on uh, uh, where folks had to disclose in their, uh, you know, in their uh, product chain. And I'm, I'm supply chain. Supply chain. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Uh, they had to disclose in their supply chain where these you know, various uh, you know, kinds of materials came from. And the D.C. Circuit shut that down and said, no, that's that's a that's a forced speech issue under the first amendment particularly uh, that that regulation said it, uh, that you know unless you could prove that your supply chain was free of conflict minerals then you had to say that you know could contain conflict minerals which so not only was it forced speech but potentially false force speech and the dc circuit was not having any of that and i this seems to me like it would be a species of the same thing it is although they the sec does seem to get away from get away with saying you have to say certain things all the time but as it's, it is usually transparency and that's a good that's a good point because here they are going to want um just just how agencies work and how this push is going they're going to want some sort of uh, hair shirt statement by the oil companies i would think or the or the coal companies or whatever and that could that could really run it right smack dab into that case um and and so we'll see. I, I do think I just wish that the agencies or the administrations would not say we have an agency of everything. You know, I, I've, I've said this before, but it's as if Congress had created an agency called the do good agency. And they said they'll have all the powers to do good and no powers to do bad. And and uh, they'll do all good things and no bad things. And then that agency just promulgates rules all the time and they go to court and say, hey, look, we're the agency of doing good and they give us all the power. So there's no constraints on us. And they all seem to want to run their agencies as the do good agency with a uh, unrestrained grant from Congress, no matter what the words say and whatever problem that they don't like that day, they can take it on, uh, whether they have the competency for it or not. It's really incredible, but it happens all the time. And, it, and it's runs straight across our cases, straight across the things we talk about, straight across the things that are in the news. Um, and the SEC is a serious outfit. I mean, it should not be doing this. It's not like... Um, it has an expertise. Yeah. This ain't it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, I, you know, I, I would hope there would be more pushback 
uh, not just from from you know organizations like ours, but I would hope that serious securities people are are right now thinking up what they're going to put in their briefs about the damage this is going to do to the to the financial markets. Well, it's going to take, if nothing else, it's going to take resources away from that the corporation would otherwise use to report the kinds of things that it should report that actually are material to the markets. Well, so we will we will watch it. You know, it, the one thing about it is they're telling you what they're going to do. They're telling you when they're going to do it. They're not hiding the ball here. <laughs> they're going right forward. So uh, we so will get ready. Yeah. And we will probably be talking about this more in the future. And um, I with the Wall Street Journal. Um, Donald, uh, we will be back next week. Thank you very much.